ברוך אתה אדוני אלוהינו מלך העולם אשר קידשנו במצוותיו וציוונו לעסוק בדברי תורה. Thank you. Blessed are you, source of life, creator of all, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and has given us the commandment to study and engage in the words of Torah. This week's Torah portion is Vayera, um, uh, um, and God appeared to Abraham. And uh, it is a very packed Torah portion, to say the least. Um, because it begins with the three angels, the three nameless strangers coming to Abraham and Sarah's tent in the heat of the day. And uh, Abraham runs out to greet them and he gives them incredible hospitality and Sarah cooks a meal for them. And uh, um, they announce that Sarah's going to have a baby. And that's the first episode. And then uh, two of the angels keep walking and Abraham goes with them to peer over there in the Judean hills of Hebron, way up high. And if you've been to Israel, you can see from Hebron the entire Syrian African Rift Valley, which is where the Jordan River flows down into the Dead Sea from there. It's quite a view and uh, it's an amazing view. Um, and the Dead Sea, as you know, is the lowest uh, land on earth. It's uh, 1,300 feet below sea level. Um, and down in the valley, when you look down, you can see Jericho, which has a lot of greenery. But then as you look further south on the Dead Sea, it's, it's bleak. It's uh, a wasteland, it's uh, salt. Everything's impregnated with salt and very little grows except where there are springs. And the, town, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were said to have been there. And so on one level, what we have here is an ancient origin story of how the Dead Sea got to be so decimated, so, um, uh, just blasted, you know, so lifeless. Uh, so on one level, that's, that's what the story's purpose is. But because it's a um, story in our tradition, in the Torah, these things happen in the Torah because of moral failures, human moral failures. Remember the Ark story two weeks ago, Noah's Ark. When you study the Gilgamesh epic, which has a great flood in it, um, I believe, don't quote me on this, uh, someone else might remember more carefully that the gods get mad because they're trying to sleep and humans are making so much noise. And so they, a flood comes to wipe them out, right? In the related Noah's Ark epic, myth. It's not that the humans are making noises there. If you recall, they're polluting the land with their immorality. And so that's what, honestly, for better and worse, however you want to read it, in 
in the Torah and in the subsequent millenniums of Judaism, our moral behavior and whether it lives up to the divine standard of justice and kindness leads to consequences here on earth. So Sodom and Gomorrah, in this telling, God's going to destroy them because of their immorality, because of their violence and because of their cruelty. And I think you know this story. Here, let's share the screen. And I'll put up the Torah text. Here we go. Um, there it is. Can you see it, everybody? Great. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back up to here. Don't get dizzy while I scroll. The men set out from there, meaning the angels, and looked down towards Sodom, Abraham walking with them to see them off. Now, the Lord had said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham is to become a great and populous nation and all the nations of the earth are to bless themselves by him. Okay, this is a deep phrase. What is Abraham's merit? What is the merit of Abraham that the, all the nations of the world will be blessed through him or by him? Um, and it has to do with the fact that Abraham is the one that's been selected by God to bring the teaching of universal morality and justice to the world. Right? That's the blessing. That is when, when Isaiah says that God has made Israel to be a light unto the nations, to bring, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring this prisoner out of prison. It's for spiritual liberation, but it's also inevitably, because it's Jewish, for about justice and about morality as the guiding principles of not just humanity, but the universe. So this is the Jewish, um, this this incredibly um, uh, bold statement that we make from the, our DNA as a people, that there is a, there is a power in the universe that, that uh, um, created the universe with a sense of justice and morality, that it's our job to align ourselves with and live according to. You know, I was, um, this is an aside, but I've been looking at different creation stories and uh, there are definitely other creation stories, especially a beautiful Native American one I was reading um, where humans are just one more creature among all creatures where our place is, is uh, more horizontal in creation. That's not true in the Torah. We, we are given, as it says in Genesis, dominion over creation. But so uh, I'm looking in our global age to find a way to integrate more that horizontal with that vertical on the one hand. That's part of, I think, important work to do today. 
But on the other hand, the vertical is that we have great power and we acknowledge that power. And if we don't put that power in service of the God of justice, then we pollute and destroy our earth because we have that power. So I think both stories are important. And this is a whole other thing I've been, I've been thinking about. Okay. So God is not going to hide from Abraham, God's judgment. God's looking to Abraham almost as a peer. And for I have singled him out that he may instruct his children and his posterity to keep the way of yod by doing what is right and just. Staka umishpat. Does my little cursor show up on your screen? Staka umishpat. Justice and righteousness. In order that yod may bring about for Abraham what God has promised him. Okay. So, now we are in a debate about justice. So the Lord says to Abraham, the outrage of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grave. I will go down to see whether they have acted altogether according to the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will take note. The men who in the story, by the way, Angels don't have actual names. They, they're referred to as Anashim, but they are, they are like um, extensions of the divine will. The men went on from there down to Sodom while Abraham remained standing before yod So it appears that yod is either testing Abraham or appealing to Abraham for help. Because again, one of the themes we'll see in the Torah um, over and over again is that um, the creator has a problem with human beings and gets very, very angry and disappointed with them constantly. Um, because God made us in God's image. So why aren't we living up to this ideal of justice and righteousness? So God has a problem with this. And in the Torah, Abraham, Moses, our heroes, are frequently talking God down from destroying humanity. Um, let me read you a midrash. I don't have it to show you, but uh, just one sec. So here's the rabbis commenting. This is footnote 11. Right. This is one of my favorite books. I'll show you a page of it uh, on the screen soon, but I didn't copy this one to show you. The Book of Legends. It's an amazing collection of all the Midrashim and the Talmud and other sources collected in, and translated into English. Um, okay, so uh, Abraham 
came forward and said, will you sweep away the innocent along with the guilty? And came forward is the word vayigash, which means approached the throne, as it were. And then comes this famous um, uh, exchange. What if there should be 50 innocent within the city? Will you then wipe out the place and not forgive it for the sake of the innocent 50 who are in it? And Abraham continues, Chalila lecha, chas v'chalila, far be it from you to do such a thing. Here's Abraham telling God how to behave to bring death upon the innocent as well as the guilty, so that innocent and guilty fare alike. Far be it from you, Khalilalah, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Go Abraham, right? Here's what uh, the Midrash expands on that by saying, Abraham and knew, drew near and said, the judge of all the earth must not exercise justice too strictly. That's how they render this. Um, according to Rabbi Levi, the verse means that Abraham said, so now the rabbi is putting additional words in Abraham's mouth, this ancient rabbi. If you seek to have a world, strict justice cannot be exercised. And if you seek strict justice, there will be no world. Speaking about humanity, right? You, you have to have compassion on your creatures, these children, these, these human, human beings. They're not gonna live up to your standards, God. You have to have, you have to move from the judgment seat over to the mercy seat and, and give, them, give them some slack here. Uh, I love that. Abraham says, do you expect to take hold of the well's rope at both ends? That's a great image. You can't pull on both ends of the rope at the same time. You won't, it's just gonna, you won't get anywhere. You desire a world and you also desire justice? You can only have one of the two. If you do not relent a little, humanity's never gonna make it. Okay, I just really love that. Um, if Judaism is a 3000 year kind of discussion, reflection on exploration of human beings capacity to behave justly and morally, or as my teacher Rabbi Ira Eisenstein said, it's like a 3000 year discussion of ethics um, then you can't be a firebrand and just expect justice because we just don't do it that well. It's too, we're too complicated. But that doesn't mean we don't keep aiming for it. Um, and so that's that will not, so I like Abraham, the first Jew, stepping up to God and saying, come on, if you're the judge of all the earth, you have to you have to do this right. You can't just exercise blanket decrees. 
there's people down here. And then of course, there's this um, back and forth, this famous handling over how many? Okay, 50, God says, 50, I'll forgive. And then Abraham says, uh, okay, I'll venture to speak to my Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. How about uh, 45? <laughs> and says, okay, 45. Then he says, okay, 40. Okay, 40. Okay, don't be mad at me. How about 30? Okay, 30. Okay, what if 20? Should we found it? Okay, 20. Okay, don't be angry at me, but how about 10? He says, I will not destroy for the sake of 10. But 10. And when the Lord had finished speaking to Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned to his place. So that's the famous discussion. And of course, someone asked me the other day, why did Abraham stop at 10? Why didn't he go down to one? I, I don't know. I, I, would, I have a guess that 10 in the Torah, the reason 10 is a minion is that 10 is considered to be a community in um, Jewish thought. Uh, so maybe it was like a collective 10 and not an individual one, I don't know. But that doesn't take away from the beauty of this dialogue. And if you hadn't seen it in a while, I wanted you to show it. Let me check the uh, chat here for a sec. Is that where Minion is derived? Yes, um, uh, that seems to be where Minion is derived from. Uh, in addition to the, to the um, a couple of other places where 10 people in the Torah are considered to be an Ada, a community. And Charlotte says the very first recorded instance of haggling. Um, yeah, I like this. That's really great. Okay, let me move my windows a little so I can see the chat better. Did Abraham or the Lord stop at 10, says Pani. Here's Abraham stops there, doesn't it? Because God has the last word. But it says, when the Lord had finished speaking to Abraham, God departed. So maybe, maybe the audience was over. Maybe that was, that was the end. Uh, good question. Abraham, the first prophet as intermediary between God and people. That's right. Thank you, Paul. This intimate relationship, it's, it's beautiful. Um, okay. So now we have to ask the question, what's so wrong? What is the evil that's this, that Sodom is perpetuating? Now, since we know about the word sodomy, um, we might assume that the, um, their, um, their sins are sexual in nature. And this could be one interpretation. And this is what the Christ, where Christianity goes with it. And when I say Christianity, I mean the early Christian interpreters of their scripture took it in this direction. Um, uh, let's see, Paul wrote sexual abuse of strangers. We're gonna talk about it. Um, and uh, sodomy also becomes obviously a 
a word describing um, uh, a homosexual relations. I mean, there were there were until the 1980s or 90s, there were bans on, there were laws against sodomy in states in this nation. They may still exist on the books somewhere. Now, where this interpretation comes from is in the text because, but what I wanna say in advance of that is, and this is, this is what I'm really um, moved by, that is not where the Jewish tradition focuses as the sin of the, of, of, uh, the people of, of Sodom, of Stom. The reason that that interpretation doesn't come out of nowhere, um, uh, let's see, I, I'll, oh, we'll start right here. The two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Okay, Lot is Abraham's nephew who has chosen to settle down in Sodom, okay? When Lot saw them, he rose to greet them and bowing low with his face to the ground, he said, please, my lords, turn aside to your servant's house to spend the night and bathe your feet. Then you may be on your way early. Okay, what we didn't read at the beginning of the Parsha, and, and again, don't get dizzy, but I'm gonna show you. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oak trees of Mamre. He was sitting at the entrance of the tent as the day grew hot. Looking up, he saw three men standing near them. As soon as he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to greet them and bowing to the ground, right? Just like Lot, right? He said, my Lord, if it please you, do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought. Bathe your feet and recline under the tree and let me fetch a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. Okay, so Lot and Abraham practice this Hospitality to strangers. Hachnasat orchim, hospitality to guests and strangers, is considered to be one of Abraham's great um, attributes. In fact, Abraham and Sarah, not in the text itself precisely, but in the lore, the Midrash that's told about them, it's elaborated on incredibly um, floridly about Abraham and Sarah's incredible hospitality. And so Lot, as their nephew, the same family is doing the same. Now, again, in ancient semi-nomadic culture, Bedouin culture, right up to this day, this kind of hospitality is considered absolute. This is what you do. And uh, it moves into Judaism as uh, when we stop being semi-nomadic, it continues in Judaism as, uh, um, again, a, an absolute given of how to behave when you see someone in need of water, shelter, food, right? So now going back to Lot, they turn him down and they said, no, we will spend the night in the square. But he urged them strongly, so they turned his way and entered his house. He prepared a feast for them 
baked unleavened bread, matzah, and they ate. They had not yet lain down when the townspeople, men of Sodom, young and old, all the people to the last man gathered about the house and they shouted to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may be intimate with them. Well, there it is. That's the definition of sodomy um, in uh, the Torah that becomes what its meaning is in English today. But that's not what the rabbis focus on. Jewish tradition focuses on the sin of Sodom was that they didn't welcome strangers. That is their great sin. Now, why is that appropriate for the Torah and for Judaism? Because the things that Abraham does, all of the stories about Abraham prefigure what's gonna happen to the children of Israel, his descendants. They, the way, so he brings in, a, he welcomes strangers. So the children of Israel later will be commanded over and over again to welcome the stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So uh, the stories in Genesis generally about the patriarchs and matriarchs have themes in them that will resonate throughout the entire Torah. So the rabbis are not wrong or cherry picking to make this assumption that the sin of the Sodomites was that they didn't welcome strangers because first of all, Abraham welcomes the strangers, Lot welcomes the strangers, and then in the rest of the Torah, God is going to command us to welcome the strangers. So the rabbis um, uh, amplify that theme as the sin of Sodom. Let me check some of the comments here. Um, Ruth Hirsch says, maybe I'm misremembering. Are there places where the host washes the feet of the guest? rather than giving water to self-bathe? I think so, Ruth. I know in the New Testament, Jesus washes the feet of the outcasts, um, the, as it were, the untouchables of um, their time in the land of Judea. Um, so again, washing feet is clearly an important and symbolic act of welcoming in Jewish tradition. Roni asks a good question. What is the Hebrew word for intimate and root and translation as intimacy in English doesn't mean sex. Right, okay, good. Let's go back to the text. Nade'ah, we will know them. This is where the Ladat is to know intimately and is also a phrase, maybe it's a euphemism um, in the Torah, when Adam knew Eve, it's that phrase. So Neda'ah seems to be intimate knowledge, deep knowledge, uh, and is also means sexual intercourse in ancient Hebrew uh, all over the Bible. Um, And Barb says, we here should be doing the same and welcome immigrants. Uh, uh, yeah, that's where I'm headed. 
among other things, but even not only specifically to closing our doors to immigrants, but closing our doors to anyone who's not part of us. Um, this is clear. So let me share with you. Oh, and Paul's reminding us that he washes the feet, Jesus washes the feet of Mary Magdalene, who is understood to be possibly a prostitute, possibly a, um, someone that you shouldn't be hanging out with. The surprise was that a lot of Hispanic immigrants voted for Trump. Yes, and we won't be addressing that in this class, but there's a lot to unpack, isn't there? Um, and uh, one Hispanic uh, person on the news I was listening to was saying that one of the dangerous things we face is considering what Cubans as Spanish speakers versus say what Salvadorans as Spanish speakers, they're not a monolith by any stretch of the imagination. And we're doing them a disservice, just like when we talk about Native Americans as some monolithic category. Um, there are, there are Spanish-speaking people in this country from dozens of countries. And so it's tricky, isn't it? Um, yes, in the Gnostic Gospels, Mary Magdalene was Jesus' most devoted disciple. I'm very familiar with that. Um, right, and the Jewish vote also is split. Uh, so there we go. Even Jews in America are not a monolith. Nope, I am deploying what I understand to be the, and I'm being totally honest about this, the most pertinent interpretation of Judaism for our time. I will get accused by more uh, traditional or conservative Jews of overlaying liberal thought onto the Torah. And I passionately disagree with that assessment. I feel like these themes are so, so, so woven into the very essence of Torah that what I'm doing is I'm amplifying them for us today, but I don't feel like I'm cherry picking at all. And uh, I really try to do that with care. And if I do cherry pick, I'm gonna say I'm cherry picking and saying, yeah, this verse is out of context, but I like it. But on the contrary, I see this as absolutely core. And let me explain why. I'm gonna stop sharing this text. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, Blaze, take the Supreme Court. The strict interpreters may forget that the constitution was written by white supremacists. And Roni says, that's what we should be doing with the constitution, Rabbi. What you are doing with the Torah, making it relevant to today's time. Thank you, Roni, and thank you, Blaze. Precisely. That is how I feel we should utilize our tradition. Um, and uh, thank you both for those comments. Um, that's what makes it a living tradition. So now let me share with you some of the Midrashim about Sdom. Okay, here we go. Share screen. Excuse me, let me just move this around. Uh, okay. This is scanned from this book that I was uh, sharing with you. I just wanna share with you a couple of the 
just a sample of what the rabbis do to describe why Sodom was so evil and unjust. And they, they, they just don't, they have no interest in talking about their sexual practices. And that does not mean that the rabbis in the second century were liberal or it's like, I'm interested in the fact that they just don't go there at all because they're preoccupied with something else. Uh, let me read this. So these are fanciful, but also thematically on track expansions of the text. That's what the Midrash is. Uh, the people of, so our, our sages taught, the people of Sodom were arrogant because of the bounty the Holy One had bestowed upon them. And now they do a classic Midrashic thing, which is they take some lines from Job and they spin them out. Um, and they're, in Job, there's a description of Sodom as being fertile and green and um, productive. Okay, so now I'm here where my pointer is. There was not a path in Sodom that did not have the foliage of seven trees over it, each shading the one below it. Vine, fig, pomegranate, walnut, almond, apple, and peach. Each path was fully sheltered. Rabbi Levi said the name of Rabbi Yochanan. There is a species of falcon so keen-sighted that even when it soars 18 miles in the sky, it can sight its food. Yet when that falcon stood upon Sodom's trees, it could not see the ground below because of the massive foliage of those trees. So they're imagining this complete contrast to the plain of the Dead Sea, which couldn't be more barren. And they go on. More, when a man would go to a gardener and say to him, give me an Isar's worth of greens, like a dollar's worth of greens. And the gardener would rinse the greens in water. He would shake down gold flakes out of the soil, clinging to their roots. Ah, oh, the golden of Medina, the streets are paved with gold. So the inhabitants of Sodom said, well, we live in peace and plenty. Food can be got from our land. Gold and silver can be mined from our land. Precious stones and pearls can be obtained from our land. What need have we to look after wayfarers who come to us only to deprive us? <laughs> oh my. Yep. Third century. This is not 2020, everybody. Come, let us see to it that the duty of entertaining foot travelers be forgotten in our land. And then they quote Job again as a way, uh, this is the literary way the rabbis would take a verse from somewhere in the Bible and use it. Though they who keep aloof from wayfaring men, turning away and disdain from them, had come to forget utterly their duty toward foot travel. So the Holy One said, because of the bounty I bestowed upon you, you would make the very memory of wayfarers feet forgotten in your midst. Therefore, I will cause the memory of anything good in you to be utterly forgotten in the world. Now, um, the rabbis go on 
describing what it was like in Sodom. Let me read you a few more. And then I want to turn to another text before we run out of time. Uh, let me see what Joan typed in. But the Sodomites are not Jews. So whence comes the concept of divine expectations of them? After the flood, um, uh, we're all, uh, God makes a covenant and forbids murder to, with all humanity. Those are called the, the, the Noah, Noah commandments in our tradition. All of humanity is expected as the descendants of, as creatures of God to, um, uh, to behave morally. Rava expounded. What is meant by the verse, how long, okay, and he quotes Psalms here. How long will you imagine mischief against men? All of you plan murder by devices such as a leaning wall, forgive me, I'm gonna scroll up, or a tottering fence. The verse intimates that the sodomites would cast envious eyes upon a wealthy man. So they would seat him in the shadow of a leaning wall, push the wall down on him and seize his money. And then they go on to describe in great detail how they would steal people's wealth. The rules were calculated to do injury to the poor. And here's a description of how they would do it cynically. I'm not reading it all to save time right now. When a bricklayer had set out a row of bricks, the inhabitants of Sodom would come and each of them help himself to a brick. When accused, each would say, but I took only one. When a greengrocer spread out garlic or onions to season them, the inhabitants of Sodom would come and each of them steal one. And when accused, each would say, but I took only one. Um, so part of the wrongdoing involves greed, yes. Greed unchecked, which in classic Jewish terms would be our appetites unchecked are the source of evil. If we do not learn how to put our appetites into service of a, of a goal greater than ourselves, of a greater good, then the result is evil because it doesn't consider the needs of the others. That's the definition of evil. Here, listen to this. They're really having a good time. In Sodom, there were four judges. Remember, this is the rabbi spinning. Shakrai, which means liar. Shakrurai, arch deceiver. Zaifai, forger. And Mazaldina, Matzledina, perverter of justice. When a man struck his neighbor's wife and caused her to miscarry, the husband would be told, give her to this man to impregnate her again. When a man cut off the ear of another man's donkey, the aggrieved owner would be told, give the donkey to this man to keep until its ears grow back. When a man wounded another, the victim would be told, pay the man a fee for having bled you. Remember bleeding was a form of uh, medical treatment in for forever. When a man crossed a bridge, he would be charged forzas. But if he waded through the water to avoid the toll, he would be charged eightzas. Um, and then some stories uh, about that. They're very entertaining. But I want to go to here. 
among the people of Sodom, it was agreed that a man who invited a stranger to a banquet should be punished by being stripped of his cloak. Now, Eliezer is Abraham's not just chief servant, but the guy who ran his household. And there's a lot of Midrashic stories about Eliezer outwitting. They're like folk tales. Eliezer outwits the opposition. So here's how Eliezer is going to take care of that. He, Eliezer happened to come to Sodom when a feast was about to take place. And of course, no one invited him to join them. But since he wanted to eat, he sat down at the end of the table. And when asked who invited you, he whispered to the man sitting next to him, you invited me. The man thought, oh, if they hear that I invited a stranger, I will be stripped of my garment. So he picked up his cloak and ran out. Eliezer did the same thing to each and every one at the table until they all fled. Then he ate his fill of the meal in peace. Okay, there's lots of stories about Eliezer like that, um, which I won't read. When a poor man came to the land of Sodom, each Sodomite would give him a dinar, a silver dollar, with the Sodomite's name inscribed on it, but not one of them would sell him a morsel of bread to eat. Eventually, when the poor man died of hunger, each sodomite would come to claim his dinar. Okay, you're getting the picture. They're awful. They're, they are like the height of selfishness. They will not give anything to anybody. They are, they're Scrooge, you know, they're, that's who the sodomites are. And this is their sin. This is what God cannot tolerate. So, um, I have one more text to share with you uh, from Pirkei Avot, which really, it has so much nuance in it. These tales are like entertaining in their um, over the top quality, right? And I wanted to give you that idea of how the Jewish tradition understands why the people of Sodom were so evil. So now you know that the people of Sodom represent the evil of not welcoming guests, not sharing, not offering to strangers a place. So now in Pirkei Avot, I want to share one more with you. If you don't know what Pirkevot is, it's, it means the teachings of the sages. And it is a collection of wisdom sayings that is one of the most studied texts in rabbinic literature. It's, uh, we've studied it here many times. In chapter five, there are a series of descriptions of the four types of this and the four types of that. And it's really fun actually. And in this one, it says, Arba midot pa'adam. There are four character types in human beings. I'll read the whole thing and then we'll come back. The one who says, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. This is an ordinary person, be no knee. 
but some say that this is the quality of the people of Sodom. Okay, we're gonna come back to that. Then the one who says, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. This is a simpleton. Am ha'aretz. So, the sages do not think that the that the you know the normal human capacity is all for one and one for all. You know, hey, take whatever you want. I'll take. It doesn't work that way. I think the history of socialism and communism might lead us to understand that that's an overestimation of uh, human generosity or even human nature. Um, the one who says, what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. This is a very righteous person, a chassid. There are, there are actually people like that. It's beautiful. Um, and then the one who says, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. This is a Russia. This is a wicked person. So I, I love this. Let me see if I've missed anything in the chat. No, good. Okay. So I want you to remember that the rabbinic category of benoni. Benoni literally means, if you you might recall, in between. And the rabbis think of humanity, most all human beings. There are some totally wicked people. There are some totally righteous people. If you think you're one of the totally righteous people, you're not, right? So unless you're in the unless unless you're in the utterly wicked category, and again, the rabbis are very careful about that because. Doesn't even someone who's wicked, haven't they even done some good deeds? You know, so they're very nuanced about it all. And they conclude that you have to look at yourself as a benoni. Because if you treat, if you think you're completely righteous, you're not for sure. Um, so the first line says, ordinary people, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Okay, that's all of us. And then the sages say, which is their way of saying, but there are those who say, no, this is the quality of the people of Sodom. All right, let me just look at the comments again. Ruth Hirsch says, could Lot and Abraham have been more fully hospitable and washed the feet of their guests rather than giving the water to wash their own? Um, that's an interesting thought, Ruth. Let's not take it up right now, but uh, I think I think it'd be worth, if, if our friend Matthew Wright was here, uh, we could talk about foot washing in our, in our ancient culture and in many cultures. And, and that'd be a fascinating, but we're not gonna go there right now. Okay, so are we as ordinary people ordinary or are we the people of Sodom? I love that they leave it as a question. Clearly, we are called upon to be righteous. That's the whole message of uh, 
will not the judge of all the earth deal justly? We have, we are called upon in Judaism to aspire. Abraham is singled out by God because Abraham's going to become a blessing to all through what? Through Abraham's striving for moral perfection. So this would say, therefore, yeah, we're all in-betweeners. What's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. But guess what? It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Uh, let me just see if this. Uh, in one of his books, says Blaze, Parker Palmer tells how when he was very depressed, a friend came and washed his feet. I can't remember which book. And speaking of foot washing, um, there's a film that we saw the trailer of Ellen and I that we couldn't stream because we couldn't figure out called The Antidote, which is this new documentary made by some folks where they document all these all over the place, incredible acts of kindness that people are doing for each other. And they call it the antidote. And if I can figure out how to stream it or rent it, I will, but I couldn't figure it out. But in the trailer, there's one um, um, organization that brings homeless people off the streets and gives them foot baths. It's just beautiful. Um, the ultimate image of humility. I agree, Joan. Uh, well, uh, this is that's a whole fascinating discussion. Uh, Lot offers, if you looked at the text, Lot offers to wash their feet. Abraham says, "Here, wash your feet." I don't know, but somebody somebody's going to give a good Devar Torah about this sometime. Back to our text. Being a Benoni, an in betweener is not sufficient, even though it's what we are. I think that's what this text is saying. We're not simpletons. God forbid we should be truly wicked. What's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. I think I'm going to go ahead and say, I think we have an amazing example of that in the White House. Um, and I, um, I've used the word evil. I think the category of evil needs to be deployed. Um, what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. Hey, when have, it makes me think, when have you and when have I manifested that? We all have at some point, right? Uh, certainly, if we raise children, I mean, <laughs> eating off my plate, you know, uh, you want this? Sure, Bubby. Uh, it's like, I couldn't help it. She wanted it. <laughs> so can we do that? I've certainly done my utmost to be generous like that whenever I can, the way Abraham is to the strangers who come to him. He asks nothing of them and he offers everything. There are some people who are like that more of the time. There are some people who are like that a lot of the time. 
it, I think what the sages are telling us is that it's our job to aspire to that because if we're satisfied with what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours, it leads to Sodom. Not just what's mine is mine, what's yours is mine, but even that. So Abram Joshua Heschel said um, in many ways, he said it all the time. He said in a free society, uh, some are guilty, but all are responsible, right? Um, that's what pops in my head. Uh, and uh, Reverend Blaze says, mi casa es su casa. Yes, that's a, a beautiful tradition. So I'm gonna stop screen sharing so we can all look at each other. The sin of the people of Sodom was that they would not share their bounty. They would not share their bounty. We act like the people of Sodom when we don't share our bounty. That's the, that's the sort of core rabbinic takeaway from their interpretation of what was wrong with the Sodomites and how we're like the Sodomites, us ordinary people, if we aren't constantly striving to be righteous. So that's what I wanted to share with you today from the Parsha. Um, I hope we all can take strength from it, both from the clarity of the teaching, the fact that it's nuanced, and from the fact that we were just reading stuff that's two and 3,000 years old, that we have, through our witnessing as Jews, kept alive to this day. And there's a lot of power in that. Uh, Charlotte says, we need a new name for socialism. Because I think what most of us mean is that we need to share in the bounty, that there is enough for all. Yes, yes. I mean, clearly in our completely um, binary discourse in this country, fueled by uh, aggression, um, these words become meaningless. So that's why I think reclaiming the term social democracy is a worthwhile thing to do in our uh, context. Because um, I think that phrase captures a lot uh, that we're in, that somehow we are, we are a, a, a collective, we are a society that is connected to one another. All of that, as we know, is uh, probably in more dire shape than at any time in our lifetimes right now. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I want to keep amplifying these teachings, because it comes down to each of us. This wasn't a collective exhortation, was it? This was, there's four kinds of people. Which kind are you? You know, I think one of the things we can do right now is offer ourselves as the most righteous version of ourselves that we can be. And we're not in control of the giant outcomes, but that doesn't mean we don't influence them with our actions in ways that we may never even understand or detect. Amen.
Thank you.